Uh, if you need one, there is a copy of the scriptures in the pew in front of you. If you would open it to Acts chapter 3. Our text this morning is verses 1 through 10. We are uh, preaching through the book of Acts. We do believe that the scriptures are the inerrant and authoritative word of the true and living God. So we do believe that God is speaking uh, when we read his word. Acts chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we have read your word and now... As I open my mouth to proclaim it, I ask that uh, you would be our teacher and our guide. Father, I pray that you would be the one who opens uh, ears, opens minds, and opens hearts by the power of your Spirit. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. On my bookshelves, I have many books that... Uh, Although they're titled different things, they could probably be entitled, How Can You Help Your Community Know God? And each book says most of the same things, but they say, uh, say it in different ways, and they may have a different strategy, but it's all very similar. And uh, as you read through these books, one thing that they will say, they may not use these words, but they will say that we can help our community know God by magnifying God's glory. So then the question becomes, well, how do we magnify God's glory? Well, different churches have different answers as to how their strategy for magnifying God's glory. Uh, Some churches, their main strategy for magnifying God's glory is having an emotionally uplifting worship service. And a person comes and visits, they worship, and they say, God is in this place. Other churches may use their community service as they do works of mercy and of love uh, out in the community and they are magnifying God's glory by showing His compassion. 
other churches, their strategy is to have a mega church. And the implication is, well, God must be there because lots of people are going. Our strategy here at Westminster Presbyterian Church is to have a God-centered worship and a God-centered theology. And we want to continually be pointing you to God and uh, magnify His glory um, through that means. But in all of these things, there is one way that the Bible says magnifies God's glory more than anything else. And that is by having lives that have been changed, that have been transformed by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and are being transformed, becoming more like Him by the power of the gospel. All the other stuff, all the other strategies are good. But if lives are not being changed and people are not becoming more like Jesus Christ, then everything else is window dressing. God displays His glory through individual lives and through families as they are transformed through His grace. Our Sunday school has been studying the Sermon on the Mount the last couple of weeks. And in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus said, In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now for those in Sunday school... I'm sorry, not Sunday school, but in Vacation Bible School this week on Tuesday, we learned that we don't have any light in ourselves to shine before men. But rather, we have the reflected light of Jesus Christ. As we become more like Him, just like the moon has no light when it's up in the sky, but yet it is able to light up... um, an otherwise very dark night. So we have no light in ourselves except that the Lord Jesus Christ is shining His light uh, on us and in us by His Spirit as we are becoming more like Him. And then we shine His light out to the world. We are changed by Him And look what happens when we are changed by Him. It says uh, that the world around us may see our good deeds and praise us. No, and praise your Father in heaven. More to the point in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 4 through 10, the Apostle Paul notes how the Thessalonians had come to Christ and how their changeless lives were, spread, were, were uh, spreading the gospel uh, even beyond the, the city limits of Thessalonica, even into the surrounding area. The Apostle Paul says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. 
your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned from, to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. The quality of their lives was noticeable to the, to the people around them. The, the fact that they had turned their lives toward God and away from idols was very evident. Changed lives. Lives changed by the grace of the gospel is the way that the glory of God is manifested in our world. That is the way that we make the gospel persuasive to unbelievers. By the quality of our lives as they see Jesus Christ um, and His light uh, reflected in us. And so we see here in the passage, Peter and John magnified God's glory by transforming a life. They had an advantage we don't have. They transformed a life by performing a miracle. We don't have that gift available to us. Uh, These miracles, as we saw last week, were signs of the apostles. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't perform miracles. I'm not saying that God doesn't heal people. He does. But I can't, no one in this room can, walk up to a person who is crippled and command them to stand up and walk. And that's what we have here. Verses 6 and 7. Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I can't do this, but the principle of a changed lives... And the effect of that changed life that it has on everyone around them, that still applies to us. This beggar's life was changed, and through this beggar's life being changed by Jesus Christ, God's glory was magnified. And so as we're going to look this morning at his changed life, and we're going to look at the various responses to his changed life, and we hopefully will learn how to magnify God's glory uh, more effectively as a congregation. So, uh, first of all, verses 1 through 7, what does this miracle teach us? First of all, this miracle of this healing of this man who is crippled from birth teaches us that Jesus offers us, or what he offers us, is better than silver or gold. It says here in verse 1 that it was the... um, They came to the uh, temple at the hour of prayer, which was the ninth hour. That was three o'clock in the uh, three o'clock in the afternoon. The Jewish day began at six a.m. and ended at six p.m. And so this was the ninth hour after six a.m. So uh, it was three p.m. in the afternoon. This was an hour of prayer. And so what are the Christians doing? They are going to the temple to pray. And as they're walking in through this gate that's called the Beautiful Gate, 
um, they encountered this man who was sitting there, and Judaism was taught to be merciful. Uh, they are a very merciful community because they are a covenant community all the way back in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, especially the book of Leviticus. Uh, the Jewish people are taught to be merciful because God has been merciful to them. So this man is sitting there and he is collecting alms, uh, collecting uh, money and maybe food uh, to be able to care for himself. And so as they are walking up, he asks them uh, for money. And uh, Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, verse 4. And then he said, look at us. And in this idea of looking at it, when he says this, there's there's an intensity involved. Look at us. It says that the man, this man who had been crippled from birth, fixed his gaze on them. And so there's an intensity in the moment. But there's also personal involvement. Peter and John aren't just willing to walk by and dispense a miracle or dispense a dollar or dispense. They want to be personally involved with this man. And so they stop. They fix their gaze on him. They make sure that his gaze is fixed on them because they want to have this personal involvement, this personal relationship with him. And then Peter says, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. This is a command. He's not saying, if you can, rise up and walk. He says, rise up and walk in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And this man who had been crippled from birth, he was 40 years old. Acts chapter 4 verse 22 tells us. He stood up and walked. I've visited several of you in the hospital after various operations. What happens after the operation? Well, the rehab happens after the operation. There's no rehab here. The man who had been crippled from birth, his ankles were made strong, his knees were made strong, all the muscles in his leg were made strong. He not only stood up and walked, He began skipping and jumping and praising God. This man was expecting a handout, but he got more than a handout. In fact, he must have been disappointed when Peter said, I don't have silver or gold. But what Peter and John gave him in the name of Jesus Christ was infinitely more more valuable than silver or gold. They gave him this miracle of healing. And even this miracle reaches far beyond healing. Uh, This man came to know Jesus Christ. He received Jesus Christ as his Savior. And in receiving Jesus Christ, he received all the riches that Jesus has to offer. What are some of the riches that we receive in Jesus Christ? When you come to Jesus Christ... You are transformed. You are brought from death to life. You are regenerated, if you will. You are born again. You are spiritually dead, and now you are spiritually alive. And that's just one of the riches. Another of the riches is you are given complete 
forgiveness of sins. All of your sins, all of your past sins, all of your present sins, even all of your future sins have already been forgiven in Jesus. He he bore our sins in His body on the cross. When He was hanging on that cross and He said, It is finished. It meant that all of our sins had been paid for. It meant that no other payment needed to be given. You don't need to do anything in order to earn God's salvation, in order to earn His forgiveness. Jesus paid it all. Not only that, Another of his riches says, God Almighty has come and made his home in your heart. John chapter 14 verse 21. He's come and has made his residence in your heart. God Almighty lives in you. God Almighty is empowering you. God Almighty is changing your life from the inside out. Not only that, He has given you a new life. You don't live the same old lifestyle that you used to live. He transforms you. He makes you more like Jesus Christ. And then He also gives you eternity. He gives you eternal life with Him. He gives you all of His promises. Romans 8.28 He works all things together for good to those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. That is, that is a promise that He has given you. All of His promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. For Him to break that one promise and do something that is not for your good would make God unfaithful and God would cease to be God. All of His promises are yours. Can you see the riches? And I haven't even mentioned the greatest riches of all that we have in Jesus Christ. And that is fellowship with God. That is what's most important. Everything else, the regeneration, the being born again, the forgiveness of sins, having the Holy Spirit, uh, having a new life, having eternity, all those things are simply means by which we have a relationship with God. Let me ask you right now. Do you have a relationship with God? Is your bank account full of the riches of Jesus Christ? Or is your life completely empty because you are without Him? Your account actually is not empty. It is full of the record of your sins and of your disobedience and of your rebellions. And you are without hope and without God if you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But in Jesus Christ, you have all the riches of eternity. There's this passage in Ephesians where Paul's praying in Ephesians 1 for the, for the Christians and he prays that God would give not simply would give them not simply out of his riches you know like taking a dollar and out of his riches and giving it to the believers that's not what he prays he says that God would, would give you according to his riches all the eternal riches of God 
are yours in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.3 For He has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You are rich in Jesus Christ. But it's hard for us to see that because we have so much stuff here in our culture. Uh, all this stuff that we have clouds our vision. You know, we're, our, our culture tells us to pursue stuff, to pursue toys, uh, to pursue comfort, to pursue fulfillment. And as we are pursuing these things, it really is a chasing after the wind. But it clouds our vision of what God has given us in Jesus Christ. But if you have fellowship with God, and you don't have all the stuff, you don't have the comfort, you don't have the fulfillment, but you have a relationship with God, you have all that you need here in this life. I want to urge you, Christians... Live bigger lives. And what I mean by that is live on a different plane of existence. Don't simply chase the stuff of this world. It's all fleeting and it will fade away. Silver or gold, Paul, uh, or Peter did not give to this man. But he gave, them, he gave this man something that was far more valuable. A relationship with Jesus Christ. You live for God. And you can live bigger lives than what the richest people in this world have ever experienced. Secondly, as we look at this miracle, this miracle teaches us that what Jesus offers us is better than physical health. This passage is not teaching that physical health is God's chief concern. In fact, there's an error floating around in the church. I know it's been around since I became a Christian because I heard about it then, and I'm sure it even uh, precedes me by many decades, maybe even many centuries. And this error is that if you have physical ailments in your life, well, then you've got sin in your life. That is an error. That's wrong. There's another error that's uh, related to it. If God, God doesn't love you as much if you have physical ailments. Well, tell that to Joni Erickson Tata, who is a quadriplegic. Tell that to someone who has a mental handicap, but who loves the Lord Jesus Christ and knows that God loves them. Um... This physical healing, rather, is a sign that spiritual healing had come in Jesus Christ. In fact, next week we'll look at Peter's sermon in verses 11 through 26, and you'll see that he interprets this physical healing as a confirmation that spiritual healing has come in Jesus Christ. This physical healing that we're seeing this morning simply points to the spiritual healing, the life that we have, the relationship with God we have through Jesus Christ. And so if you have any ailments, if you have any struggles, if you have any discomforts in this life, whether monetarily or physically, whether... Um, whether physical handicapped or psychological struggles, none of those things are able to hinder the work of God in your life. 
regardless of your situation. You are more than a conqueror through Christ who loves you. God is your refuge. He is your strength. None of no elements uh, in life can stand in the way of God's grace working in your life. None, no elements, whether physical, mental, or anything else, is able to keep you from the riches that you have in Jesus Christ. I know it feels like you're impoverished sometimes. If you have Jesus Christ, you have all the riches of heaven in Him. And then to transition to the second and last point. What did, these, what did the various responses to the miracles teach us? First of all, verses eight through, or in verse 8, we see that the glory of God becomes our priority. It says this man uh, who was healed, he stood up, he, was, he leapt up and he stood and began to walk and he entered the temple with him walking and leaping and praising God. The glory of God became this man's priority. In being healed, he also came to faith in Jesus Christ. He's now praising God. Uh, those of you who came to Christ in, later in life like I did, you remember the excitement that you had when you first came to Christ? And then, well, you got connected in the church and the, the church just sucked all the excitement out of you. Isn't that the way it seems like it happens? Um, we find new Christians that in, in new Christians they just have, they have this new life. Their life has been transformed and their natural reflex, just like a newborn baby, their natural reflex is to look to their, their mom for sustenance. Well, our natural in, uh, instinct, our natural reflex is to praise God and worship Him. The glory of God becomes our priority. I remember when I first became a Christian. I became a Christian in college. Even though I had grown up in a Bible-believing church, I uh, had never come to know Christ. And uh, when I came to Christ, my mom thought that I had joined a cult. My life was so radically changed. I said, well, no, Mom, uh, but I have become a Presbyterian. <laughs> Not a cult. Um, but uh, I, I, was, I was transformed. My life my life was different. In fact, in the second point here under this uh, point, the glory of God becomes visible to others. Everyone who saw him, verse 9 and 10, they saw this man. There was no skepticism. They knew this man had been crippled from birth. They, they had seen him year in and year out as he had taken his place at the, at the uh, beautiful gate. It says, all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The glory of God not only becomes our priority, but become, it becomes visible to others. If your life has been changed by Jesus Christ, it will be noticeable. And then thirdly, 
and this is looking ahead in the passage, the glory of God becomes a source of opposition. This story of this this cripple who was healed continues all the way through chapter 3 and all the way through chapter 4. So in chapter 4 we read, As they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening but many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of men came to about 5,000 and if you jump down to Acts chapter 4 verse 21 and 22 and when they had And when they had further threatened, this is the Pharisees and Sadducees, when they had further threatened Peter and John, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the signs of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. The glory of God becomes our priority. The glory of God becomes visible to those around us. But for those who don't know Jesus Christ, the glory of God is going to become a source of opposition. When Jesus Christ is living in us, we do live bold lives. In fact, Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a light on a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. But there are some people who don't want the the light to be on. They want to remain in the dark. And they're going to be angry when when you bring the light in. So don't think it's strange. When you become an outsider, whether it's an outsider in your family, whether it's an outsider in your neighborhood, whether it's an outsider in your workplace, because of your faith in Jesus Christ. If your faith is evident... Or if you are in Jesus Christ, the glory of God will be evident in you to others. And it will be a source of opposition by those who are unbelievers. So, what are we saying here? We are saying that the way we are going to reach our community with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is by the glory of God being magnified in us and in our families. The problem is, we live here in a world, we are weak in our natural selves, we need a recharge, we face oppositions, we have all these distractions, all this stuff, all these advertisements, uh, get more stuff, get more stuff, and we need to be refocused. And one of the things that God has done is He has given us the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And His family meal where we come and we renew our fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. And it may look like the most unspiritual thing for us to take a piece of bread and to eat it, to take a cup and to drink it. But what is happening, the Bible tells us, is when we are doing that, when we are doing that as the body of Christ gathered together, the Lord Jesus Christ comes and he fellowships with his people and he renews their faith he renews their zeal for him and there it is an intensely spiritual event 
let me just give a couple of words of instruction about the Lord's Supper. It is a family meal, and what we mean by that is not that it is a Presbyterian meal. We mean that it is a meal for believers, regardless of denomination. If you are in a church that believes that Jesus Christ, as we were teaching all through the week, is the way, the truth, and the life, this table is for you. This table is Christ's table. This table is not Westminster Presbyterian's table. So we invite all who are members uh, in good standing of a church that believes that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life to join us in this family meal as we fellowship uh, with God this morning. Let's pray. Almighty God, we ask now that you would... um, Work in your word uh, and work through your word in our hearts. Renew our faith in Christ. Cause your glory to be manifested in us. Cause us to shine with the light of Jesus. Polish out all the blemishes. Work in us a zeal that calls the radiance of Christ to shine even more brightly. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.